Their goal is to bring you a podcast that sounds more like everyone else. What are we talking about again? Then anyone else. We need to accept the fact that we are like every other podcast. Yeah, we want to be special, but we're not quite there yet. It's the Zenial Odyssey Podcast with Remy and Bobby Rocks. That. That's much better, bro. Coming back to Zelenial Show. So, much like always, what the fuck are you doing? You headbutting? I'm poking the mic. Are you sniffing? It looks like you're sniffing it like a dog sniffs another dog's asshole. Yeah, nice. I'm doing that after. <laughs> you check to see what gender it is. Right. Who was on the mic last night? <laughs> smells like sorrow. Oh. Oh, that's me. Oh, uh, why the fuck? You weren't. Just so everyone knows, he was he was sniffing his fingers, not the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, uh, see, I can't. I'm not. I'm not the. See, I don't always have to be the straight one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're taking the role from me now. Yeah, though, yeah. Well, that's how I get you to up the ante. Fair enough. Yeah. I, see, my that. penis is out. So. Yeah, and it's aroused. <laughs> <laughs> is it more fucked up that I can say that just calm, cool, and collected? For a minute, I was like, I oh, I, why do I have a boner? <laughs> is it fear? <laughs> fear bone. Funny story about a fear bone, no joke. So I'm I was trying out this was like this was a long time ago to be on Red Bull's street team, okay? And they would have these get the way they would do their basically job interviews is they'd bring in like eight people, okay? And then it would be an hour and a half of improv. I'm not fucking with you at all. They wouldn't care shit about you. They wanted to see if you had like the Red Bull charisma. So they're like, you're at a bar right now and people are fighting and you'd have to like figure out what to do in these scenarios, you know, and then have you do bits with other people. And I'm killing it because I'm stupidly obnoxiously charming when I want to be. And it's a job working with the public. So I'm like, I got this shit right. So everything's going well. There's like a younger girl who I think is going to beat me because she's attractive. And I mean, who do they want to be at bars selling a product? Someone super attractive. Sex sells. Yeah, it really does. So I'm like, so so it's like the final bit. And they're like saying, they're yelling for you to do things and you got to kind of do them. And they, and I remember I had to go out and do this like improv session with this girl and they were like, all right, I'm going. I walked out and I was like, "Uh, excuse me. I was like, I don't think I can do this because I have a fear erection. They flipped out on me. They were like, fucking in there, right. They're like, that's a girl you were doing the bit with, and that's harassment. I was like, bro, I just implied that I had something that I didn't have. But I mean, I get it now because, dude, if you work with like the drunk public and you say the wrong thing, I get it now. But I fucking felt like I was at like a nine hour movie audition and I like blew it by farting. That's what it, the whole day felt like. Do you think you could have saved it if you just like turned to them and say like the aristocrats? <laughs> like, in case you guys don't know, yeah. it's the punchline for the longest, dirtiest joke ever. And if you just say the aristocrat, sometimes people in the room will get the joke and be like, hey, yeah, I probably could have. But there wasn't enough dog fucking for it to be an aristocrat. Oh, yeah. Don't forget, that's the big selling point of that joke, depending on who's telling it. But, Shit but yeah, it's, but again, the fear erection, I thought I was like being bar funny. But they, I, I saw that the way they shut down, I'm like, why do you guys rape somebody, huh? Your production company has had to settle because of you. Yeah, you, wow, guys. I'm actually seeing that the bloody nose that this was a trauma directly related to one of you guys. So fear boners, overrated, don't bring them up. Okay, I won't bring it up. By the way, your story kind of reminded me of the beginning of Role Models. Yeah. That's an undersung classic, yeah. too. Yeah, because that's ha- an unsung movie. Full of unsung actors at the Bro, time. What's the theme? Of and the, the theme episode? of this episode, everybody, is unsung oh, heroes. So Boom, fuckers! That's how you bring it back around full circle. Bring it back circle. I think it deserves that. Yeah. It does. Plus, unsung heroes makes me think of what group and what song? Helmet unsung. 
Great song, great that's band. Gonna be, that's going to be the song for this episode. Great greatness. All right, so yeah, speaking of a song, we'll play a song, we'll come back, we'll have our topics, we have our we have our individuals, we have our unsung heroes, we're going to have some comparing and contrasting, see who got similar, see who don't got similar, see if we agree with them, see if the other one's full of shit. That's so, it, man. All right, sound like a plan. So yeah, we'll play that song, we'll come back, and we'll give that one to you guys. Shadow man, steal umbrella from the man so what it sounds like you're saying is uh, instead of going on a hunger strike, you're going on an odyssey. Oh, this Bob's on fire today, people. This episode should have a charge. 99 cents a listen.
All right, unsung heroes, Bobby. Can I? Can I? I actually, no, because you you have a nice little. You start out. I insist. You want me to start out? Yeah, yeah, please, because oh, you got some good ones lined up. Man. Yeah, I do. Okay, should I? Start I'm not out? letting you do Banksy though. Should I start out with the honorable mentions? Yeah, I think I think yeah, that's yeah, fair. Yeah. yeah. So Rem came to me with this was Remy's brainchild. It's just Hi. unsung heroes. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So what I do is I go into the lab and I just start thinking about all the people in my lifetime who are unsung heroes of all kind of walks of life. And I'm going to go with people, names of, that people know. So I'm going to start with the honorable mentions. One of the honorable mentions I had, I went more recent, was, and I forget his name, the dude with the cowboy hat at the Boston Marathon bombing. <laughs> Yeah, I know. That's an unsight because he saved that guy's yeah, life. Yeah, I know. It's, it's he rem- saved his life and he was there to protest war because he lost one son in the Iraqi war and then his other son who was in the military ended up uh, committing suicide. You just blindsided me because you didn't mention that one. I didn't, car. no, but it's an honorable mention. No, that, was, that should be a full mention. Yeah, so that's one. Number two, I went with for an honorable mention. I wanted to talk about them, but they, they're not an unsung hero, especially not at this point in their career. It's a musical act, The Flaming Lips. Oh, yeah. They're not an unsung hero at this point. They are full-fledged critical darlings, and they've become commercially successful over the second half of their career. The first half, they were just figuring it out. Yeah. But then they, they flipped it around the late 90s, early 2000s, made some incredible records. All right. So there's another one. Another one, this one falls into the art category. I know I mentioned uh, one name to you. You already named the name. Mm-hmm. He's not an unsung hero. I think his, his work in the 90s was, was Banksy. So, yeah, he's an, he's, he's an honorable mention. Okay. Do you know the name of the artist I'm going to go with now? Because we talked about it in the car. We talked about it a lot. Yeah. So basically for everyone, my, I picked three people. Well, two people in a musical group. One is a director, one's a musical group, and one is an artist. Also a musician. All right. So I'll start with him. And his name was, may he rest in peace, Wesley Willis. Yeah. Unsung hero. When I was a teenager, my friends and I used to listen to his music and f- laugh our fucking asses well, off. People, I promise yeah. a lot of these people aren't going to have any context. Yeah. So. so for anybody who doesn't know who Wesley Willis was, he was an African-American man who lived in Chicago and then the suburbs of Chicago. He was developmentally delayed, and I believe he had a diagnosis of schizophrenia. So he was mentally, he had a mental illness. He was developmentally delayed. He did grow up in a pretty abusive household. And his saving graces were he would ride the buses from the suburbs all around the city of Chicago, and he was a savant, and he would paint landscapes of the city of Chicago. And one of his most famous works is from the, uh, the overpass, the, high, the main highway that goes through Chicago, and he would do like, he did like a 360 just from memory. Yeah, from seeing it. And because of that, he had like social workers and people involved in his life especially in his uh, young adulthood up until his death, mm-hmm. and they got him in touch with the um, what is the major sh- school for art in Chicago? Chicago's School of the Arts. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but he got he, so he was basically going there for free to learn yeah. how to enhance his artisticness. And I mean, he made many drawings, and and if you saw them, you'd be you would be like, oh wow, because like he was his mastery of it was his um, lines, straight lines. Yeah, his line design like that, and he would do some very intricate things. So now let's fast forward like 10 years and then he decides he's going to create a band. So pure. Yeah. And it was Wesley Willis. Uh, so at different times he would be solo. So it would just be Wesley Willis. But then he got a backing band and when he'd go on the road, they would just, they would do it live. Yeah. He, yeah. He got that big people. He got on MTV. He was on Howard Stern. You've all heard rock and roll McDonald's. I yeah. Yeah, exactly. And his backing band was named the Fiasco Band. So Wesley Willis and the Fiasco Band. Beauty. If you heard his interview on Howard Stern, 
yeah, if you're like me, a 16-year-old fuckhead, you're listening to it laughing your ass off because you're like, oh, my God, because he's talking about things being a hell ride. He's talking about his voice. Uh, getting, yeah, like. yeah. I would get in a fight with a fiasco band. They would yell at me and I yell at them back. Like he would literally talk like that. So yeah, he would get his songs played on MTV. By the way, most of his songs were just the pre-recordings on Casio, a Casio keyboard. You can tell so raw. Yeah. His uh, famous songs, I Got Kicked Out of Church, Alanis Morissette, Eat Mule Shit, uh, my favorite, Cut the Mullet, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or uh, sucking, uh, what is it? Sucking emu, uh, emu's dick or something like that. I mean, yeah, he had all these names. Now, in hindsight, I believe it was Crackle. Crackle was the first p- place that you could find his, the documentary on his life. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it called. It's a hell ride. So what you realize is a lot of the, the lyrical content that he was talking about was about the trauma he experienced in his life. And then um, one of the fabulous things, Remy, did you remember, you've listened to enough of Wesley Willis that, I mean, you know how he always did those shout outs at the end? Yeah. Like, rock over London, rock on Chicago, and then he'd do like a commercial bit. <laughs> so the reasons he did that, so obviously rock on Chicago, he's paying homage to his hometown. Yeah, yeah. But when he's saying rock over London, he was huge in the UK. Really? Yeah. He, like, he was, he was a, in the mid-90s, he was a rock star. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's why he would give shout outs to London and he would give it out to Chicago. And then he, he would do like a, like a, just a shameless bit, like blockbuster video. It really makes a difference. <laughs> like, and these would, be, his mind. these would be at the end of songs. And one thing I also realized in the documentary is he actually got pretty wealthy. Good for him. And what he did, and this, I love this because this, he would go out and buy the most expensive and brand new Casio keyboards. So he was on like he was on disability and social service. So that was not an issue. Yeah. He always had a home, but yeah, he would take the money he got and he would spend it on just all these like keyboards. Literally, that's what he would spend it on: keyboards and electrical equipment, recording equipment. So that is my first unsung hero. Nice. And by the way, on my bucket list, I want to at some point purchase one of his artworks. Oh yeah. Which is skyrocketed in price. Yeah. By the time you can get it, it'll be yeah. crazy. Yeah, and, and, and I have a different appreciation for his art, but, all, but also his music. Mm. Because he's, he would say, like, when he's talking about hell rides, he would say that's when he would basically go into a psychotic episode. And he would talk, he was able to articulate to the best of his ability that there would be things in his life that would trigger that. Yeah. And that's where a lot of that came out, and that was, to him, was cathartic. Oh, shit. So, yeah, yeah teenage me feels like a dick now on back on that, but I'm glad I experienced Wesley Willis. Yeah, there's a purity to him. Yeah, there's a purity to, there was a purity to him and all the media forms that he did that does not exist. Yeah, it, I agree. It barely existed before, and it certainly didn't, didn't exist after. And for everyone who doesn't know, he died in 2003 from cancer, and a part of that was because he just chose not to go to doctors and things, and that yeah, was a part of his wanna... schizophrenia, his paranoia. And when he finally did, it was too late. It's a sad story, yeah. but quite a character, man. Yes, and I'm glad that he was able to get the support he needed to fully take it and live a full life. Yeah, and get to do the things mm-hmm. he was so passionate about you know there's a there's a comic book that has recreated him he's a character he's like a superhero oh really yep yeah for people who don't know too he had um he had like almost like a calcified spot on the front of his head later in life because he used to he was a sensory person so he would you know headbutt or rub his head or against things and it calcified it but one way he showed affection to the people he cared about the most is he would get you give you a soft headbutt yeah like a cat yep and he would and the people in the documentary who were the closest with him said like that was that was like a really like a term of endearment all right, so where do we go there? Do you want to talk about an unsung hero you got, or do you want to talk about your feelings on Wesley Willis? What do you want to no, do? No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll jump on one of mine. One, I mean, it, you know, unsung heroes, it's interesting, right? Because you're pulling from somebody that you personally find inspiring that maybe the world doesn't. So, like, initially, I, I thought of the most cliche ones, you know? I thought of Mr. Rogers, but he's iconic. I thought of Bob Ross, he's iconic. And I realized that 
thinking in present terms makes it a little more difficult. For me, the first unsung hero is Hedy Lamar by far. Really? Yeah, the actress Hedy Lamar. for those who don't know. Golden Age actress, incredibly talented, beautiful woman, but that was nothing of her. Like, she didn't really want to act. She wasn't really, like, enamored by acting. She did it because she couldn't. She compared the way they treated her making movies to how people would handle a fragile doll, and she didn't feel that way about herself. Incredibly high IQ. What people don't understand is what she did. She, yeah, let me give you an example, had dinner with Nazis. She was a spy for America, and so many people don't know that about her. And she did it herself because initially they were like, oh, we don't necessarily want a woman, but I don't know if you guys know what honeypotting is, but put it this way. Is some guy at dinner going to tell me a war secret, or is he going to tell the girl that he lays in bed with after dinner? You know, that was honeypotting is these girls would seduce high, powerful figures, have sex with them, try to get them um, under the influence, and then post-coitus... When guys are the most liberal with their secrets, these women would figure out these secrets and bring them back. And I'm not saying she was honeypotting. She didn't have to do that, but she was at dinner parties with Nazis. She would take notes. People slowly learned how brilliant she was, and she got employed by the government to literally help tackle the Nazi problem. Howard Hughes ended up meeting her, and he's like, okay, you're really, really brilliant. Do you do designs and like well, what's going on? He's like, because you know, I'm an aviator. His whole thing was flight. So she starts taking books out on different birds the birds who can fly the fastest, the birds that can glide the farthest. And then she literally redesigns plane wings based on the aerodynamics of some of the fastest birds in the animal kingdom. And sure enough, like they add miles per hour to Howard Hughes' planes. So Howard Hughes uses her design on all of his planes immediately keeps it kind of hush hush because she's like working closely with him she's brilliant he's the one who created the spruce goose right yep okay thing that shouldn't have flown but did yeah the flying city but in a time when women weren't allowed to have voices first of all in a time when women weren't allowed to have free thought first of all in a time when women if you weren't a if you weren't a wife or a mother you had no value she didn't want those ideals she literally wanted to better the world stop war and make aviation and things easier. But she's just one of these people where our generation doesn't know anything about her because we didn't grow up with her. I didn't know her movies. But I started hearing her name from certain people I respected being like, oh, yeah, but do you know about Hedy Lamarr? Just trust me. I I think these two examples are great because we know for a fact you're going to have to Google both of them. Yep. We're not handing you low-hanging fruit because that's stuff you've already eaten. We're trying to pick from a weird part of the tree. So when he said Willis in the car to me, I was like, okay, okay, let me go a little deeper. I've thought the world of Lamar, first of all, I'm a man. She's stunning. That old world poison beauty is just, it's, it's breathtaking to look at. It really is. And realizing that when she wasn't on set, even in her trailers, in her movie trailers, she had what she called inventing tables. That's how much she invented things and came up with things and figured out how to streamline things. But I don't know if there's a modern, not I'm not going to say woman, a modern person who has done what she's done. Well, I was going to make a parallel. I was going to, the first thing in my mind is you're describing to me what feminism is all about. She, so she's a, she's a early day. She's not the original feminist. She's an early day feminist. And she didn't have to announce it. And she yeah, was just making just the doing breakthroughs. Yep. Yeah. I'm trying to make a parallel. Is it a stretch to say it's kind of like Elon Muskish? 
No, not at all. Okay, all right. Not at all, because she was working on flight, and she yep. just, everything. She was figuring out how to get better gallons for plane mileage. Like, she, the other person I can compare this to, believe it or not, my good, good friend, Kate Beckinsale. Um, not really my good friend, but. Because she's another woman who, for example, if, if you looked at Kate Beckinsale, you'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, my heart just stopped. She's stunning. And she's fun, and she's talented in her films. But if you were to, like, dis- dis- have a discussion with the woman, She's got one of the highest IQs in Hollywood. It's, it's, compa- it's comparative to Einstein. And so she's another woman who's just brilliant, but doesn't necessarily get the opportunity to show that to the public. And I think that they kind of relish that. I think they kind of relish, because I know for it's, Beckinsale... It, it's almost like an underdog role. It catches people off guard. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. And, and her whole... I think that the same thing about Hetty and Beckinsale, you know, is I think they both got a kick out of the fact that they were seen like these delicate flowers when in actuality there's just much much more to them but i think for me that and the problem was when me and bobby were discussing this was like i thought of obvious ones and so i never stuck with my first few ideas i just kept going because the idea for us discussing this is so that you guys at the end of this can be like all right i want to hear this dude's music that sounded really intriguing mm-hmm. all right so my this is good because we're representing both genders properly yep so my second i'm gonna go with the director he is the Original postmodernism director. Well, wait, can, can I like eerily talk just out of tune while you're doing this to make it set the tone? Okay. All right. He's the first postmodernism director. He gets pigeonholed into being a neo noir director. His career has encapsulated every single genre. And he has, he is a popular director, but his influence, I think, is underappreciated. And that's why I want to talk about David Lynch for everybody. The man who fucks your mind without a condom. Exactly. And he offers you a cigarette afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so his first work was Eraserhead. That was the first thing that caught people's attention. And I'm not going to say any more about it. Go watch it. Go watch oh, Eraserhead. God, it's a mind But then after that, most people don't realize this. Because of Eraserhead, he was chosen as the director Dune. before that. Do you know he directed Elephant Man? Yes. Yeah, yeah. With Anthony Hopkins Sorry. and William Hurt. William Hurt or John yeah. Hurt? Oh, it's John. It's John. I know. I always mix up the Hurts. <laughs> Not even related. One's one's British. One's I one's American. Yeah. So uh, yeah, his next movie is about the elephant, the real life of Elephant Man, the man who had elephantitis, and it was basically treated as anything but a, hu- a human being. Oh, it's a heart wrenching yeah. film. Yeah, exactly. And then yes, after that, he does Dune, which was recently redone. Is his version closer to the? It's a novel, right? Yeah. Is his version closer to the novel or is it the modern day one? Closer? Oh, the modern is 1,000%. Okay. Because his his work, I don't I just think it came out people weren't it wasn't the time wasn't right. No, and it's it's a it's here's the thing, it's a good film. Yeah. Great cast, great visuals, but also fans of Dune, you just can't, you couldn't do it in one movie. Right. And so he gets a lull. So he he had this momentum, Eraserhead, Elephant Man, Dune kind of slooms down a little bit. And where does his career really take off? The surreal. Blue Velvet. Blue. She Blue Velvet, which, by the way, his career takes off, resurrects Dennis Hopper's career. Yeah, Dennis Hopper, Frank Booth, man. Yeah. Um, you're almost not prepared for that, to be honest with you. Exactly. And then what does he do after that? Because he's so avant-garde. I'm going to do a TV show. I'm not just, But I'm not just going to do any TV show. I'm going to do Twin Peaks. Yeah. And Twin Peaks was, that was very neo-noir, which was, it was fantastic. I loved it. I loved the music. I loved the... Just the tones. I, the acting was incredible. Yeah, we'd never seen television like yep. it. Yep. 
And then the second season really upped the surreal. Like most people don't realize, you know, David Duchovny got his start on that, yeah. playing an FBI agent in drag. <laughs> yeah. Now there's a lot of people yeah. that you realize that's the first and, time you saw them. And David Lynch plays an FBI agent in there who has like a, di- a disorder where he just yells. Yeah, he screams. <laughs> like he just, ye- he just yells. I mean, it was fantastic. But what was great about Twin Peaks is number one, it was a half hour TV show. It wasn't a half hour, an hour. I think it was 60 minutes. Yeah, I, I, haven't like. watched, I haven't watched it in so long. And it was just, it was so, there was um the little person. Yeah, reverse talking. Dude, he, he's like, oh, hey, hey, David, this is the kind of things that was great about, I'm sure it was very organic on his sets or just in his pre-production. Hey, David, did you know that I've mastered talking backwards? Sounds like a great thing to, and then they do it in the show Twin Peaks and it's ab- absolutely like unnerving. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That's how it sounds. Yeah. Like, ah. Uh. But, you know, my thought on Lynch is he was the director who properly captured the feeling of a fevered nightmare. Yep. His world, you know, when you're stepping in Lynch world, especially when he went from Blue Velvet to, you know, everything, right? Wild at Heart, was that him? Yep. Yeah. But for people who don't know, and if they know Chris Isaacs. Wicked Game. Yeah, Wicked Game. That song got huge. Off. It had been out for like two, three years. Yeah, no one picked it up, and then it's in, and then it's in that movie, and then it's what it is today. But he he pulled back a a, a curtain on again, and Bob kind of brought this up earlier. Suburban angst. Yeah, like th- I think of the intro to Blue Velvet. Yeah, for people who've never seen it, there's an intro where it showed like a the manicured 1950s perfect lawn in the suburbs and all that, and then it just zooms in on the grass and then it goes into the dirt and it just shows all the books. Just great. Uh, that, by the way, they're great. That's, that's the introduction to the, to the movie. Yeah, that's suburbia. Yeah, showing you that, hey, beyond the aesthetics, there's a different world. And that's like, that's a an, that's an, uh, theme that always comes across in his future films. He manages to merge the erotic too, always with the surreal. So it's, it, it, it's alluring and repulsing at the same time, which is a hard thing to pull off. Cronenberg can pull that I off I would too. dare say that he is arguably the most uh, humanistic director of his time. Because if you think, yeah, yeah, everyone focuses on the surreal or all that. Let's talk about Mulholland Drive. And what is at the core of it? Naomi Watts's character, you know, going to LA to live that dream of being an actress and just her life down spiraling and falling yeah. apart and she finds love and then the love doesn't love her back. And that's all mixed in with all the fuck uppery you know, yeah, that's going on around Random it. characters and the disturbing little vignettes. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, Lynch, yeah, arguably one of the, the best directors alive. My second unsung is a singer-songwriter by the name of Tori Amos. Oh, I I love Tori Amos. Yeah, I mean, but like, okay, again, the 90s thing. For me, Tori Amos, she is, again, she's a piano player, absolutely beautiful music. Some people like it, some people don't. But what Tori Amos did for me in the 90s, and the reason I would consider her an unsung hero is, she educated me more about the feminine energy is what I have to say. As a guy yeah. coming up, you don't necessarily understand a woman's standpoint about certain things or how certain subjects can affect a woman much differently than a man. And I was coming up, you know, I, I lived with my mom and my sister. But then about the seventh grade, I was like, nah, I want to live with my dad for a while, I think. I want to balance it out a little. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because me and Bob were talking about how the 90s were very almost overly sexual and sexually aggressive Tori Amos has these songs. Um, unfortunately, as a young girl herself, she was um, essayed, yeah, sexually yeah, assaulted. Yeah. And a lot of the music, it would be girls I dated that would be like, oh, you know, have you listened to her? And I hadn't. And I seen her and she's just this like Phoenix energy woman with this 
burst of fiery hair and she's animated and seems very kind, very hippie-ish. But the reason I have her here is because, you know, she had this one particular song, Silent All These Years. And it was one of her biggest songs, but that song was about her coming to terms with her abuse and what had happened to her mm -hmm. and how it didn't keep her from getting her voice. It just delayed it a little bit. But I know for me, when it would be girlfriends playing her and I'd, I'd always be kind of affected because she's got this really original, unique, butterfly-ish voice that goes, that kind of like swings from highs to lows. And again, as a man, for me, it was just, I think I needed that at that time because I only had the male vision and I don't think I necessarily understood that we are incredibly different creatures. And I don't know if my relationship, some of them would have been as healthy if I didn't understand her and I didn't listen to her. Even like if you watch her in interviews, even the way she talks to people, she looks people in the eyes. She's very human. And, you know, in a world in the 90s, the ones who were big were Madonna and Vogue, larger than life, sexual, you know, and she didn't really work that angle. She was, man. You see that woman sit on a piano bench and you start feeling things. Trust me. She squirms them hips like, you know what I'm talking about, boy? But it was the idea of, as corny as it may sound, I am woman, hear me roar. But me hearing that and applying it more to life and realizing that um, I still had stuff to learn. Can I give you my spin on uh, Tori Amos? Oh. Like her, her voice. She Please showed, do. She showed that you didn't have to yell from the highest mountain at the top of your lungs to get your message out there. Yeah. And one thing I appreciated about her in her heyday was her ability to arrange music. Oh. She was phenomenal at arranging music. And I know, I feel like we should bring up her biggest hit, God, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no. for, pe for people who... No. What's her biggest hit? Isn't God that Joan Baez chick? What if God was one of us? No, no, no. Not that song. No. Oh, no. Come on, Ram. I can't. God, you know, you know, sometimes you don't. You just oh, yeah, don't yeah. come oh, through. So yeah. Yeah, see, yeah, man. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. And, but I, I bring that up mainly for if you take a step back and you just listen to her lyrics and then you think about how she's presenting it vocally, mm -hmm. it's, it's incredible. Yeah, conversation with yeah. God. Just yeah. like, would you consider this side? Yeah. yeah. Like God, sometimes you just don't come through. Do you need a woman to look over you? Oh, like, yeah. yeah, you're right, man. I blanked out. And, I, she's, and, it's, and it's sung, the, the chorus is sung so, it's not delicate. I don't want to say that. Manic. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's sung soft. But the, but the lyrics are powerful. And that's like, you know, silent. Excuse me, but can I be for It's like mm -hmm. this gentle melody, but, you know, even the opening line of that song sounds all these years. Excuse me, but can I be you for a while? Mm -hmm. My dog won't bite if you sit real still. Some, I, I might even be paraphrasing two verses there, but I know the song opens with, excuse me, but can I be you for a while? And it's like you think about that and you listen to it and you're like, no, being a woman sounds horrifying. Mm -hmm. But I'm very thankful to her, you know, and, and it's not just her. Unfortunately, like I, I kind of wish I could say Alanis, Tori, Fiona Apple, Sarah McLaughlin. Like we had a batch of female musicians in the late 90s into the early aughts that really switched it up. Like these weren't women who had to push up their tits to get their videos on MTV. These weren't women who had to have songs about fucking to be on MTV, you know. And I think it, it set the tone for the Lilith Fair, too which was the celebration of women in the 90s, yep. the early aughts, and that was unheard of. So I have to say, unsung, and, and it's not just for me, I can't imagine the amount of women that Tori Amos helped. Now that you, and I'm glad you brought up her name, but if I were to, if I had chosen a female artist 
as an unsung hero for this episode, it would have been Fiona, Fiona Apple. Apple, of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course. I, I, I constantly still try to talk to her on social media. Yeah. I'm like, we should be best friends. She just got it from the start. She might need her yeah. whole own episode. Yeah. Because yeah. of her MTV speech and what she's doing now. Yeah, I'm, I'm into that. Good call. The or her battles with getting her music out there. Oh, dude, you yeah. know, and, and just, yeah, she's a profound, prof- you know what? There are artists and there are singers, you know, and she's truly an artist. I mean, yes. Fiona Apple's cover of Across the Universe. Mm-hmm. Can we play that right now? Probably not legally. No. But we can pretend we can't. Yeah, no. But I think my point is it was all of them for me in that time where I was like, because I'm listening to Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Led Zeppelin. It's a male voice. And it's a voice of malaise and like torment and longing. So to hear the other side of it for me was very important. So now we're on to my third one. Yes, sir. All right. So my third one is a band. They had one huge hit. It was the biggest hit. It was their big. It was their biggest like charting hit. I just mean it by that. This it's is not their be it's, tough because you're gonna really. It's not their best song by far, but they were a grunge band. They fell into the grunge style in the in the mid '90s. Little proggy too. Yeah, they were a little proggy. They loved their Pixies influence, but then in the early 2000s, they found a different voice. And in my opinion, they started to make their they hit their stride and made their best music, and that would be not a surf. Now we'll give you guys a minute because this is a when we say a deep cut, there's a lot of people gonna hear this and say who? Yeah, who? I can try to help. I'm the head of the class. I'm popular. There you go. Yep. Um avant-garde spoken word 90s rock. And honestly, when when they started to have that change in their their own direction, oddly enough is their cover of Where Is My Mind by the Pixies. By the Pixies and they yeah. and they made it their own. Completely took it in a different direction. Popular came out in like 96. Mm-hmm. And then they really, they didn't keep the momentum going on their next album. And then for, as, for all intents and purposes, in the major way, they fell off the face of the earth. Yeah. And then in 2002, they released their third album, Let Go, which most people... When they think of Let Go, they would think of Avril. That's the only time you can hear me. Oh, wow. Because the same, same album title. Yeah. Why'd you have to go make things so complicated? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just doing it and it's making us frustrated. I don't know. <laughs> nice. All right. They came out with Let Go. Let Go is, in my pound for pound, it is one of the, it's one of the great records of the last 20 years. That very few people have heard. Yes. Yes. The, the first, first off, the opening track on the album, Blizzard of 77, is just one of the great acoustic songs. And it's such an uplifting song about just something that really probably sucked. Like, right? Yeah. And then the next, the, then um, what's, the, what's another great song? Blonde on Blonde. Blonde on Blonde, yeah. Is, I could listen to that every single, it, that, to me that's an anthem. And then uh, they close it with Paper Boats, yeah. which is just an awesome closer. And in between, very little filler. They gave you 45 minutes to an hour of- Solid shit. Just solid, and it's pop. And that's okay. It's like it was pop music that was just okay. One that I'll throw next to yours, and it's not mine, but just, I guess, an honorable mention for me, because I put them kind of close for the influence and the talent, but the not appreciated pavement. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. Yep. But that's all I wanted to say. I just wanted to mention yep. the name, because if you guys are Googling things as a result of this, that's that's another one to add. Yeah, Built to Spill, too. Oh, dude. Yeah. If we're going to mention pavement, I feel like we have to mention Built to Spill. Yeah, so. no, that's a good call. Yeah. But they didn't just so not a surf didn't just stop with uh, let go the next album I believe it's uh, the weight is a gift it's uh, yeah backing backing it up with another killer album I would say it's they're very similar to the Flaming Lips yeah in the sense that 
they found their sound and then they put out like three records that were just killer records. But not a surf again, showing that not all pop music is something to hate and have disdain for. But I'm going to go, you know, I mean, I'm going to say, because a lot of you aren't going to know, please do listen to the song Popular. Yes. Yeah. How, how many times in the 90s does a poem chart? Just like a spoken word, hilarious. Yeah, there's a chorus, and the chorus slaps like your granny, but the whole song is like this performative spoken word poem about the politics of high school. And it's, fu- here's the thing. It was brilliant when it came out, and it has not aged remotely. You listen to no. it now, <laughs> there are lines, and it's hilarious. If you understand that you're listening to something that's Johnny satirizing. Football. Yeah, and like Johnny shower, football. wash your hair once every three weeks. Yeah. Once every three weeks. It's a mass. Listen, it's a masterpiece. Don't expect an album like that, but also kind of do. But don't skip that just because it's like the one song, because does it rep them? No, but is it one of the most brilliant radio songs ever? Yeah. And should it have been on MTV? Probably not. No. Probably not, because it made fun of everything that they do. But made fun of everything they, they do. And they it celebrate. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, Which yeah, is just amazing. Like, yeah. break, I mean, they talk about breaking up before you fall in love. They tell you the ideal time to date, the yeah. ideal person to date. I believe we should have a 30-day like, <laughs> limit dating. on dating. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, just so. be honest with him. He'll respect He'll you, respect. Yeah, yeah, like, but even that, it builds to this anthemic chorus, but then it goes back to these two little notes and them just talking. And it, it is, it's, it's kind of profound. I, I've always thought it was a profound song. Well, you know why they got on MTV? It's because of Weezer. Oh yeah, it was yeah. that era of. Yep. Listen, these nerds make decent. It's music. like, oh, it's kind of like Rivers Cuomo from Weezer. Oh look at that. We yeah, let's put them on. But I mean, not. That's the problem with music back then. You know what I mean? I would also argue that speak about two bands careers that went in opposite directions yeah oh yeah you know you either embrace it or you disappear and don't embrace it yeah like weezer had the blue album and pinkerton criminally underrated pinkerton yeah people love that uh and i know everyone's like oh yeah the green album all this when they came back but eh, eh, you know it's suitable eh. but it doesn't hit like the first two at all nope you know nope you you, their first two albums you could listen to start to finish oh yeah there's not and and their thus track listings are so perfect Mm mm-hmm because Weezer has this ability to have the end of one track sort of bleed into the next. But yeah, there was definitely a time in the 90s where it was like, oh, any band that's like a successful band will take them. You know, it's like, think about Limp Bizkit. Limp Bizkit existed outside of Korn and a few others. There weren't a ton of bands like them at first. Then they just, the gates opened and that's what killed that sort of puke rock movement. But the great thing we got out of that was White Pony by Deftones. Oh, that's it. You can, see, I don't even put that in butt rock at all. Well, I mean, they they but got the world would. they got lumped in and rap and yeah. rap and new metal and all that, and they White said, Pony is. and they said, oh, okay, well, we're just gonna make White Pony. White Pony was what would happen if if Radiohead made a metal record? Yeah, they even said that's yep. what they wanted. You know, they were like, we're we're trying to show people melodies. Yeah, speaking of albums, I could listen to start to finish. Yeah, no, I yeah. mean, I Deftones is one of those rare things because nobody sounds like the Deftones. They have such a unique melodic, crunchy sound, and they just care about their sound yeah yeah and it can change been. album to album but they care about their sound and that's it yeah and chino's the man he's got like 19 side projects now i like all of them crosses is like a new wave version of the deftones and team sleep is like a more experimental he, he's, the, he's the modern day uh robert smith for my third it, it you know he's not really unsung so i'm gonna mix him up with another person but my third it's Bob Ross. I, I, I merge him with Mr. Rogers and I make them into one person. But even like LeVar Burton back then, all those dudes from the like 80s and 
bro. Reading who, Rainbow. Who just basically were like, you know what? I'm going to be really gentle with people. I'm going to be kind and warm and gentle to people and let them know there's a pocket of world where that exists. Because like, we can say what we want, but our generation came up with Bob Ross playing in the background. But these are like men who were incredibly gentle, incredibly kind. But I think for me, because I was kind of a gentle kid before I got super angry and I didn't understand what was going on around me. Mm-hmm. They were like, I mean, aren't they everybody's babysitters? Isn't that kind of what it is? But just the idea that grown men would devote their life to helping children, like legitimately, like teaching them lessons about death, about race, about love. I, found, I find that to be remarkable because the people who do it now, like you know how many times Mr. Rogers was almost canceled just because it was public access? Yep. And he'd have to go in and fight for the show and keep it for another five years, keep it for another five years. But like now you got dudes like Blippy and these weird YouTube channels with... I don't, I'm not as moved by guys who are making $25 million on YouTube a year. I'm sorry. Mr. Rogers barely got paid for this show. Same thing with Bob Ross. Like, the thing people don't know about Ross is he Ross. got fucked. Yeah, he got completely fucked, man. Like, yeah, so I, I look at these guys as in a time when men weren't, allow, men weren't allowed to be gentle. In a time when men were not allowed to be sympathetic or soft-spoken or receptive to things. It was watching those guys you know, a couple of times a week that always made me feel less weird. Do you think people out there know like that Bob Ross would actually paint, like do paint sessions for where he would instruct people and all that. So people got to, so I mean, he made himself readily available to yeah. people. Yeah. You could sit and he'd do yeah. like rooms full of people. And he has one of my favorite quotes from, from one of his shows, you Knock know, it out or whatever. No, 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 not, not to beat the devil out of it. No, no, no. No, that's a great Pat reference, by the way. Pat loved that. Always. Yeah. But no, his, his, uh, there are no mistakes. They're just happy, happy little, little accidents. accidents. Yeah. My whole mm-hmm. life is one giant happy little accident. But yep. Bob Ross's view on that stuff, that, that gets embedded into your mind and it sort of plays when you need it. You yep. know, if you're having a moment, it's like, All what right. would Bob Ross do? Yeah. What would Bob Ross, what would Mr. Rogers do? Mm-hmm. You know, what would those guys do? But I think the men from the 70s and 80s TV who, generally wanted to educate and i mean unfortunately we almost could have said bill cosby because of reading rainbow let's never discuss but you could that, say man. jim henson well he was going to be my original one yeah. I, I i actually met jerry nelson too the guy who was henson's best friend yep. who did like gobo and a bunch of the voices um but to an extent i do think henson's kind of normalized now as but but i actually you're right he's though. Henson, because he's permeated henson bob ross and mr rogers yeah it's like a trifecta of like public access TV purity. Yep. But again, those guys were not looking for branding. They weren't looking for movie deals. They genuinely wanted to answer the questions kids might have, you know? And I think that's that's it, real hero shit. In a weird roundabout way, that's how I view what we're doing with the podcast here. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully educating or at least giving people a different way to look at mm-hmm. something, you know? So I guess to wrap it up with a bow, we could say these are the unsung heroes we chose. We talked about our honorable mentions, but what are yours? Yeah, t- let us know because um, I'd really like to do a follow-up episode where we could go over some of yours, some of the people that kept you guys going or influenced you or inspired you. Yeah, and we could do a Q&A. You could just fire stuff at us for inspiration, maybe giving us uh, a point of view on something that we didn't think about. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, but until that time, thank you guys for tuning in. You're our unsung heroes.
next episode of the Zenial Odyssey podcast. Remy and Bobby Rocks discuss... Jared Burrell, he emailed me and we had some correspondence back and forth. And during that, he actually shared a link to a digital book called Generation Y, The New Lost Generation. I would not say that it would be impossible for us to maybe talk to these people. So maybe at some point down the road, we'll be able to sit down with these guys. The first chapter is basically defining Generation Y, generation I'm a part of, my brother's a part of. They got so lazy, right? Like X, Y, Z. I take a little bit of an issue with the authors here. Yeah. There's the older generation and there's a younger part of the generation. What do you consider to be the defining trait of X, Y, and Z? We were the generation that saw the ideals of the last generation disintegrate in front of our eyes. They also focused heavily on the baby boomers. They focused on baby boomer hate. They boil things down to like oh, yeah. a, a definitive movie for Generation Y. Discuss. New episodes are released every Tuesday morning. Find the XOP on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, our Facebook page, or YouTube.